Father, we need you. Lord, we confess that, that uh, with you all things are possible. So today we can hear from you. Our lives will be changed for your glory. We'll be conformed yet more to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people here today who don't know how to move forward in faith. And so Lord, today we're trusting that, that souls would come to a place of faith in you, starting with your gospel, starting with the finished work of Christ at Calvary. Lord, I thank you that, that we can worship you freely. Uh, thank you that we can worship you in song and in testimony singing praise, making melody in our hearts, all unto you, all to you. And so, Lord, uh, thank you for the privilege of worship. Lord, we're gonna worship as we, as we attend on your word. Lord, let your word uh, penetrate our hearts and our minds. Lord, we wanna see our lives change for your glory. Lord, we worship you in our giving. We worship you in our serving. Lord, you're worthy of all worship and honor and glory and praise. And so God, would you bless the tithes and the offerings that it might further your kingdom. Thank you for the privilege to be able to be a part, to give and to, and to really effectively buy in to the, to, the family, to the family ministry, to the family kingdom. Lord, all of it is a privilege. And Lord, help us to see it for what it is. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so mini prophecy survey before we get into Genesis chapter seven. So we're gonna be looking at Luke chapter 17, and we're just gonna read through verses 20 through 33. Remember, in Matthew 24, 37, Jesus said what it would be like right before his coming. Matthew 24, 37 says, but as the days of Noah were, Noah again is a New Testament rendering of Noah's name, but as the days of Noah were, so, all, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So just uh, you know, keeping that in mind, the times of Noah is exactly what it will be like in the times in Christ's return, in his second coming. So some prophecy points for consideration in the last days, starting in Luke 17, verse 20. Uh, he was demanded of the Pharisees. When he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he, Jesus, answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, now watch this, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And he said unto the disciples, the days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And so watch this now, verse 21, but then also verses 23 through 25. In the last days, there's gonna be a proliferation of false teachers, watch this. False teachers and false Christ. And they shall say unto you, see here, or see there, go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lingereth out of the, out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But the first but first he must suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. So you're gonna have people saying, here's what God's, God's doing a new thing in our time. You know, God's doing this, God's doing that. We found the Messiah. He's over here, he's over there. Uh, low here, low there, right? Okay, false teachers are proliferating. They're multiplying. They're amassing in the last days. And so there are red flags that you need to pay attention to. Uh, there are just a few things that when you see them or you hear them, that ought to just put a red flag, you know, pop up a red flag in your mind. 
And so you know what to avoid. Verse 26, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. And, and we've been looking at that in Genesis chapter six. We see the sons of God, the celestial host, taking daughters of, the, of men, of mankind, and, and making wives of them, and they're bearing children to them. And, and, and what do we see? We see the sons of God going after strange to them, strange flesh, and the results of the, this union in Genesis chapter six is chimeric hybrids, right? You've got Nephilim, demigods. This is the stuff of, of mythology, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, but it's not mythology at all. I mean, it's fine to call it Greek mythology because they don't get it Genesis 6 right. Uh, but they're taking a stab at it, right? That's the Grecian version of Genesis chapter six. And in every ancient civilization, you've got these stories of the gods cohabiting with man and demigods or Nephilims, giants, you know, these chimeric hybrids are the, are the results. So you've got, you've got beings going after strange flesh. Well, in Daniel chapter two, we saw that. You've got a hanging pronoun in the prophecy of the last days. They, whoever they are, shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. So whoever they are, they have a seed, just like men have seed. And, 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 and so they will mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they won't cleave one to another like clay and iron can't cleave to one another. So when you get down to the end time kingdom represented by this statue that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of, the head of gold, uh, that's the glory of the Babylonian kingdom. And then the kingdoms degrade in glory they may increase in strength and power, but they degrade in glory, and, and so you come down through the Medo-Persian uh, Empire, through the Roman Empire, and then you get down to the toes, and it's the ten, it's the ten headed, right? The ten, the ten Kingdom League. There's a corruption of seed that takes place again, as it was in the days of Noah. So also shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man, and, and so what, it's just no wonder in the last days Science is fascinated with the human genome. We're already, I mean, you know, the, the, the human genome is being manipulated daily as we speak, and so, so, so red flag. <laughs> We're in the last of the last days. And then everybody's, everybody's pursuing fine living. Look at verse 27. They did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So they're just, they're pursuing fine living. Uh, everybody's got their social credit score and everybody's you know, a good citizen and, and uh, they're, they're doing things that are government approved and, and they're living life and they're taking the mark of the, of the you know, whichever son of God you know, was in charge of that whole mess in Genesis chapter six and they're, they're, they're genome jacking humanity and just all of this leads to destruction. Okay, so what was shall be, and you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Hebrews 11.7 gives you insight into what's taking place. By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things, of things not seen as yet, what did he do when he saw what was coming? Moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. If you're here today, and your life is not submitted to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, what we're gonna see as we go through the Genesis study is the ark is a picture. It illustrates the person of Christ. Only in that ark is a place and a position of salvation 
from the wrath that was poured out on a fallen and wicked world. Flee, right? Move with fear into the ark. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father, right? Nobody gets to God. It's by him and him alone. Okay, so this is critical. So by faith, right? Moses moved with fear, prepares this ark, and then Hebrews 11 says, by the which he condemned the world. His act of obedience was proof of condemnation to the world around him, and he became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. First Peter chapter three and verses 18 through 20, uh, you see the same thing. Christ, with his death, his burial, and his resurrection, before his resurrection, 1 Peter 3 says he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, and we already ran the cross-references on that. These are those celestial beings, these angelic sons of God who rebelled. They left their habitation. They left their first estate. Uh, We ran our cross-references. Sons of God can only be Adam, angels, or Christians. That's your pick if you're gonna stick to biblical terminology, and so And so we said, yeah, it has to be angels because we don't know what else to do with our cross-references in 1 Peter and the book of Jude. If that's not talking about Genesis chapter six, well then we have no idea what 1 Peter three and Jude are talking about. Well there's these, 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 these watchers, these angels, these sons of God, they messed up so bad in Genesis chapter six, they went to, they went to prison, they were bound with chains of darkness and Jesus, Right, right before his resurrection shows up and tells him what's what. He preaches unto the spirits in prison, which were sometime, right, which sometime were disobedient when, the, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. They messed up, in the, these spirits messed up in the days of Noah. Jesus shows up and says, all right, here's where we're at and don't forget, here's what's coming. It says the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is eight souls were saved by water. Noah moving by faith, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, it's by the which he condemned the world. His building of the ark, fleeing to, to the salvation that God was providing in that time, in that dispensation, was proof of the judgment of the world around him and only eight souls were saved by water. All have sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 6, 23 tells you the wages of that sin is death. Judgment is comprehensive. It's it's a total judgment. It's a comprehensive, complete judgment. Okay, again, look look at Luke's gospel. We'll pick it up here in verse 28. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, just like it was in the days of Noah, you get an echo of it in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. In Noah's flood, only eight souls were saved. In the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, only three souls were saved. Outside of God's provision of salvation, the wrath of God abides on all over sin. And nothing has changed today. The wrath of God abides over the wicked, over the sin of mankind. But God so loved the world. God's not willing that any would perish. God has made a way of escape, okay? God made sure Noah had an ark. He made sure Lot had an escort. 
and he makes sure that you know about Calvary, the cross of Calvary. There is an ark, there is a way of escape. The fire came, it destroyed them all. Look at verse 30. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Total cataclysm is coming yet again. In that day, when he shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. When the time of great tribulation comes, the Jewish people here are commanded to flee to the Judean wilderness. When you compare this passage with its companion passage in Matthew, uh, uh, chapters 24 and 25, God tells the Jewish people, when you see the temple defiled by the Antichrist, Daniel foretold it in Daniel chapter nine, run, flee to the Judean wilderness. There, in Matthew and also in Revelation chapter 12, you see God's chosen people supernaturally protected and provided for during the time of great tribulation. And so, this is what Jesus is saying. When you see it hitting the fan, don't play, run, right? Run to the ark. Take the escort to the wilderness. Let him not come down to take it away. Don't be worried about your life in a world that's gonna be destroyed. Hello, somebody, are you paying attention? Don't be worried about everything that is slated for destruction. That's not for you, that's not part of you, that's not any worry of you anymore. Let him not, don't worry about the stuff in your house. Don't worry about packing. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Verse 32 is one of the most sober verses in your Bible. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Why? Well, verse 33, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Lot's wife was worried about the life she was losing, I mean, she was losing in Sodom. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Life took the, Lot took the escort, right? He took the way out. Genesis 19, 26 tells you what happened. But his wife, Lot's wife, looked back from behind him. She was told not to do that. Don't even look back, just run. Behind you is complete annihilation and destruction. She looked back. That's where her life was. That's what she wanted to preserve, and she became a pillar of salt. You gotta get this. What you love, more importantly, who you love, it's either gonna save you or destroy you. Do you understand that? What you love in this world, more importantly, who you love, it's either, gonna, it's either gonna be the vehicle, the engine of your destruction or your salvation. Man, brothers and sisters, let's be wholehearted in our love for the Lord. Uh, we don't keep in the love of, lo- of the Lord so that we avoid hell. If you're a born again child of God, you're an heir of God. You're an heir of heaven. Nothing can change that. But if you're saved, right? If you're a new creature in Christ, if you have new life in Christ, let's live that. Because what will happen, we, not, we may not, our sin was judged 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. We will be judged for our service at the judgment seat of Christ. We're not judged over our sin. God already took care of that, all of our sins, past, present, and future. God dealt with that at the cross of Calvary. But once you're saved, where's your heart? Is your heart still with the Lord Jesus Christ? There are gonna be people, Christians, who are born again, who are heirs of God, who will spend eternity in heaven, and yet they will lose all reward. Check out 1 Corinthians chapter three. There is a fire that will try every work that you did in service 
right? Every work that you did as a Christian, it will be tried by fire to determine what sort of work it is. Where's your heart? What you love, who you love, that's either gonna be a vehicle of salvation or destruction. Man, we want our hearts to be kept in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? We want to let the love of God constrain and motivate us. We want the love of God to provoke us, right, to be what God's called us to be as his children. What you love, who you love. There'll be people at the judgment seat of Christ as Christians doomed to heaven for eternity who suffer loss of all reward because you spent your life loving this world getting what you could get out of it. A world slated for destruction, that's all you cared about, that's all you wanted was a, was a life and a place and a lot in this world. And it's a waste of your time and frankly, it's a misuse of your salvation. Remember Lot's wife. Now if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, remember Lot's wife. The world and all that's contained in it, according to 2 Peter chapter three, is slated for destruction. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Just like God had to set the re- hit the reset button in Genesis chapter six to clean up a corrupted humanity, he's gonna have to do it again at the end of the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is everybody hanging with me so far? This planet is slated for destruction. Don't waste your life, don't waste the salvation that God gave you whoring after the things of this world. A play, uh, don't be, remember Lot's wife. Don't, don't be like that, don't play like that. That's not you, homie. Okay, Genesis chapter seven, verse one. Let's look at God's invitation to salvation. It's a salvation invitation. Invitation is your first blank. Genesis seven verse one says, and the Lord said unto Noah, come thou. You ought to just underline that in your, in your Bible. Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. And remember we saw this in chapter six and verse eight. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and and the text continues and, and, and it's revealed that Noah has this walk with God that his great grandfather Enoch had. So there's a picture here of God's invitation to salvation to everyone in, in, in verse one. This come thou to Noah, right? Come thou to a saving place. This is the first of literally hundreds. There's over 500 of these invitations in your Bible. Invitations from God to man saying come. I want you with me, right, come. The last time you see this invitation is in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. God's invitations to man are always come. They're never go away. They're always come. They're never leave me alone, right? They're never leave me. So he's there, he's waiting for us in the ark and he wants us with him there. So he says, come thou. This is the same invitation that Jesus himself gave to mankind in Matthew 11 and verse 28. What did Jesus say? He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you Noah. Noah's name means what? Rest, do you see that? Just like he said to Noah, come and find a place of rest in the ark from 
A, your labor of 120 years building it. B, from dog paddling in 40 days and 40 nights of a cataclysm, whenever you get the data on that, it will blow your mind. Okay, nobody's gonna survive that. Uh, Literally, what the Bible says, when you do the math on it, impossible to avoid death. Okay, so so come rest. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Noah's name means rest. Don't, mix, don't miss that picture. This is also the call that John gets in Revelation chapter four and verse one. In the book of Revelation, you've got another incredible salvation rapture picture. In chapters two and three, you've got seven letters to seven churches that coincidentally, the content of those letters actually line up with the events of church history over the over the last 2,000 years. It's almost like, it's almost like God, the all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipotent God gave us this data set. It's almost like it's God's, oh yeah, that's right, it is God's word. So no wonder Revelation chapter two and three line up so perfectly with church history when God gets done with the church that makes him sick at the end of those letters, the, the church of Laodicea, the next thing you see is John. John, the, the apostle John, who is a, he's a representative, he's a picture, he's a type of the New Testament church and believer. There's a sound of a trumpet saying, come up hither, well here it is, watch this, Revelation 4.1. After this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. You ever heard a trumpet talk to you? You're gonna. If you're saved, you're gonna, which said, what did the trumpet say? Come, right, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And so, so church age, this is the picture, church age, Revelation chapters two and three, rapture, Revelation chapter four, verse one, and then what comes after that? The tribulation, wrath of God unfolds in chapters four, well really five through 19. Uh, man, that's a pretty, that's a pretty picture, isn't it? That's, that's, the Bible is majestically, it's greatly organized, isn't it? So this picture that we're seeing shows the security of our salvation. You and I, we're not slated for wrath, we're slated for rest. We're slated for resurrection, for rapture. The ark pictures the protection or salvation that God offers to the believer in the church age to protect his people from the wrath to come. Wrath is your next blank. We've pointed this out a few times, when we, especially when we went through uh, Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter four, what do you have? You've got a rapture that takes place. So the church is raptured out in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, and then what comes after 1 Thessalonians chapter four? 1 Thessalonians chapter five, why? Because five always comes after four. And so that'll help you keep this straight. Four, rapture, five, wrath. And in 1 Thessalonians five, where he now reveals the wrath of God on a sinful world, he tells the church, God has not appointed you to wrath. The time of tribulation is called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the time where God prepares Israel to receive her king. You are not appointed to wrath. Now, that's the church age. There's a picture in the ark ark for the tribulation saint. If you read Revelation chapters five and seven, you find out that the greatest time of revival in the history of this planet is yet future. 
During the time of tribulation, there's gonna be so many people that come to faith in Christ, you cannot number them. And, and it's brutal time, they're being martyred for their faith. They're there worshiping before the Lord, these martyrs, during the time of great tribulation, and you can't count them. Okay, so let's contrast the tribulation saint. This picture that we're seeing, right, if we see that, that, that Enoch is a picture of the church, in that he's raptured out, right? Enoch was not why God took him, the Bible said in chapter five. Okay, so if Enoch pictures the, 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 the believer who is raptured out before Genesis seven, before the flood comes, before tribulation comes, then what is Noah? Well, Noah is a picture. He's a type of the tribulation saint remnant Israel who is saved, who is protected through tribulation. So the ark is a type of this same protection for the tribulation saint. It's not salvation from wrath, but through it. Through is your next blank. See, here's the key. Noah has to stay on the ark if he's to stay dry and breathing during this flood. Um, But in both cases, whether you see the picture or the application for the church age or the tribulation age, the ark pictures Christ because in him and in him alone is salvation. And this is why the invitation is to Noah and all of his house. Look at that. There's an incredible principle there, isn't there? It goes like this. The husband and the father is set up to be the spiritual leader of the family. And you see that very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. So the, the father is set up by God to be the head of the household biblically and um, God's invitation to Noah is him and all of his household, right? His whole family can come with him to a saving place. Now this is not a guarantee in the church age, right? It's not a guarantee of household salvation. So mom, dad, if you come to saving faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, That's not an explicit guarantee that your children will. However, it changes the spiritual dynamic in your family, okay? Now understand this. The guarantee now is for your family, right? They get the opportunity to exercise free will. Your decision for Christ forces that decision on your children, on your family. Do you get that? Why, because you're not gonna be quiet about what God did in your life. This is why the Bible tells Christians to train up their children in the way that they should go. And the promise is when they're old, they won't depart. Some of us, moms, dads, we're praying for our children to get gray hair and wrinkles because they act like they don't know what's right. And you know you trained them what's right. You know you told them what's right. You know you gave them the gospel. You know that they know the word. And uh, they're get, they, they seemingly are getting away with ignoring it. So some moms and dads, we're praying for gray hairs and wrinkles, but but uh, that's the promise. When they're old, they won't depart. You, your saving faith marks your, kil- your children, right? Your saving faith marks your children for special attention from God. They will get the guarantee to exercise their free will. Check out Acts 16, verse 30. Uh, the Philippian jailer just got freaked out. I mean, you saw the beatdown of the sentry on Paul and Silas. They're praising God. The earthquake comes, he's assuming that he's a dead man walking. You know, you're a jailer and you lose your charges. It, it was better to commit suicide 
than for the Roman authorities, right? If they get a hold of you, you're tortured to death and they can keep you alive for a long time. Typically what would happen is at the end of all the torture, you would be burned alive in a fire started by your clothes. Uh, it is an ugly thing. So he's getting ready to, <laughs> to kill himself. Paul shuts it down. So he brings them out and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's seeing it of a truth. God is in these apostles, right? What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Well, okay, so if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, does that mean your kids are saved based on your decision? They spake unto him, here's what happened, verse 32 is what happened. They spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in their house. Dad, if you'll just take God seriously, you've given your whole family the permission now to take God seriously. So the jailer, they preach him the gospel. The whole house, they preach to them the gospel. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his, straightway. Everybody made a decision for Christ. Man, what an incredible principle and promise. So in in Genesis seven, here's the reason for the invitation. Noah, you're different than everybody else. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. You know, in the Old Testament, right? Old Testament salvation was dependent on a man's walk. It can't be separated from God's grace. But you, I mean, read the Torah. There were things that you had to do as a believer in the Old Testament dispensation of the law. Yeah, you're still saved by, by faith through God's grace, but you still had to keep the law. There was no way around that. But in the New Testament, salvation is realized by Christ's righteousness. It's not by the righteous works that we have done. We can come to God, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We come to the Father by him. It's not by our righteousness, it's by his righteousness. When we get saved, his righteousness is accounted to us, it's imputed to us, it's reckoned uh, with us. We didn't earn it by our walk, yet, okay, so if New Testament salvation is realized by Christ's righteousness, it's still evidenced by your walk. In other words, if you're saved, you won't be able to hide it. Everybody loves Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Why? Well, we're saved by grace through faith. We heard the preaching of the gospel. We believed on it. So by our belief on the gospel, our faith in the gospel alone, by God's grace alone, we're saved. It's not of works. Nobody will be bragging in heaven. God had to let me in here because I am all of that. I'm that cool. I'm that good. I'm that smart. I'm that pretty or whatever. No, no braggers in heaven, only grateful, right, saved people, rescued people, okay? So everybody, we memorize it in Sunday school, we're all about it, we, we talk about it, we think about it, we pray that a lot. God, I thank you that I'm saved by grace through faith. I'm glad it's not up to me to have salvation or keep it. If I could get saved through what I did, I'd just turn around and mess up tomorrow and I'd lose it, you know, I mean, man, so, so great. But nobody likes Ephesians 2.10. Right? We don't memorize that. We don't, just, we don't, we don't spend our time on two. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that's salvation. Ephesians 2, 10 is your walk as a saved person. We are what? Oh yeah, we're God's workmanship created unto good works. Right? That's what's supposed, if, if Christ is in our life, that's what should be coming out of our life. So you see, Old Testament, walking righteous, 
not so different from the New Testament proofs of salvation, right? That the, the, the fact that you're saved should show up in your life. We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works, 2.10 says. So here's Noah, he's righteous before God, and it's not in his own righteousness, but by faith in the grace of God. God gave him a word and he took God at his word. This is the great grandson of Enoch. He's following God just like his great grandfather before him. Genesis 5.24, the Bible says, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. In Genesis 6.9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. He is whole in terms of his genealogy. There's no intermingling with the sons of God in his generations. And Noah walked with God. So here's the key, Christian, today, walk with God. Get full of faith in the word that God delivered to you and walk in it. Walk in it because you know God is with you. God with you is everything, isn't it? I would hate, I would hate the fact that I belong to God, but he's not with me in the life he's called me to live. You know, I never pick this life for myself. What I'm doing here with you this morning was literally last on my list of things I wanted to do with my life. And I told God that many times. I'll do anything, I mean, I'm up for anything except two things. Lord, you, you, you know, I'm, I know you're such a good and loving God and you would never ask me to do anything that I don't want to do. I prayed in my stupidity. I, I know you'd never do me anything that I don't want to do, so I'll just let you know. I'll never be a pastor or a missionary. I will never do that. Um, I, actually, I despised the, pastor, the, the pastorate at that time. As a young man, I'd already seen grave failure in the pastorate. I was jaded by it. I thought they were either thieves, liars, adulterers, or lazy. That was my opinion of people in the pastorate. I want nothing to do with that, thank you, right? It would be a miserable thing to know that you belong to God and you have to follow his will for your life, but he's not with you in that? No, God with you is everything. Okay, fine, I'll pastor, but whew, you have to have meant it when you said I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. <laughs> Noah walked with God. Walk with God, that's everything. Mom, dad, train up your kids to have their own walk with God. Don't just tell them what's right because you told them so, right? Train them, show them how they want to have their own walk with God. You know, your kids aren't gonna do well serving their mom or their dad's God. They're not gonna do well in life like that. They have to know him. They have to walk with him. Be like Noah. Be righteous before the Lord. Train up your children in the way that they should go, not the way you want them to go, in the way they should go. They need to know the book. They need to know the God of the book themselves. Verses two and four, let's look at the scope of the invitation. Verse two says, of every clean beast, thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of the beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female, of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. So here the clean animals come in by sevens, the unclean by twos. Uh, the clean animals are defined for you in Leviticus chapter 11. 
and they're needed, right? They need extra of the clean animals because they're necessary for sacrifice, and we'll see that in chapter eight. The minute Noah hits dry ground, he builds an, I mean, he builds an altar, and every one of the clean animals <laughs> gets, gets offered to the Lord, you know? Uh, they're necessary for sacrifice. So there's a picture even in that, isn't there? Look at every picture you've ever seen, and very rarely will you see it biblically portrayed. Whenever you look at, I mean, just an insight into the nature of man, typically the emphasis of man is on the unclean two by two. That's normally what you see. Uh, it's very rare, extremely rare, that you'll look at the art of men depicting this story in chapter seven, that you'll see the clean animals coming in by seven. Well, what, what does that kind of tell you about human nature? We've kind of got to focus on the unclean, don't we? We don't naturally portray the clean just for whatever that's worth. And you know, I'll never fully understand the art world. I appreciate it, but there it is. Okay, he says, I'm not gonna destroy, (laughs) right? Every living substance that I made, I will destroy from the face of the earth. Okay, so, so destroy means to blot out. Later he's gonna say, I'm not gonna do that again. I won't blot them out again. As a matter of fact, you get to the time of great tribulation, those days are shortened, because if they're not shortened, no flesh would survive, right? So God's serious about this promise. But here he's gonna blot it out, and this judgment comes in 40 days and 40 nights of rain. This is the first mention, right? 40 becomes identified with testing and judgment all through the Bible. When 40 shows up, there's trouble. So the law of first mention, this number 40 is tied to God's judgment. And so no wonder Israel wanders in the wilderness. How long? 40 years. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus spend how many days fasting at Mount Sinai? It's 40 days, right? And, and, And Paul may have followed that example. Just check out Galatians chapter one and four. But there's another, again, just insight into human nature. When do men hit their midlife crisis? In their 40s, they get hair plugs and buy a Corvette and try to dress like a teenager and look like a buffoon. I mean, that's just, at 40, they mess up their life. Trouble, testing, judgment, there it is. God uses water to wipe everything out. Water is the instrument of judgment. Uh, Noah's flood is kind of a repeat of history, isn't it? Remember when Lucifer fell? We saw we have to do something with our cross-references, particularly Isaiah 45, 18. When did Lucifer, well we knew that Lucifer fell before Genesis chapter three because he shows up as the serpent deceiving the woman. We also know it's before Genesis chapter two. It's before day six of creation because on day six God creates man, places him in the garden, tells him to, to, to uh, keep it, right? To tend it and to keep it. He's to cultivate the garden, but he's also to guard the garden. Okay, so that's set a watch, right? Be on the lookout. There's trouble in the garden. So we know it had to have happened in the creation week, at least chronologically, where are we gonna fix the fall of Lucifer to become Satan? Well, we know that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and sometime after that, Lucifer falls. In Genesis chapter one, verse two, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And God said in Isaiah 45, 18, I didn't create it that way. And so we run our cross-references and we see, ah, Satan 
fell between original creation and the creation story, which is really a restoration week as much as it's a creation week. God is redeeming, he's restoring creation back to a Genesis 1-1 state. Is everybody, everybody with me so far? Okay, so, so Lucifer, we said his, his, his pride, his fall, his corruption of creation led to a total cataclysm. Second Peter chapter three describes the earth standing in the water, out of the water. I mean, this is like the earth. It's a bobber in an ocean type cataclysm. It's plunged through the deep. It's a water judgment. So what do we have here in Genesis seven? We've got Lucifer. We saw, the, again, spiritually, um, you know, in terms of warfare, what's going on. It's the Genesis 3.15 prophecy. The seed of the woman will crush your head, Satan. This woman is gonna give birth to a, soul, uh, to a, to a, 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 a skull crusher. And so immediately, what's Satan doing? Well, he's not stupid. He's gonna try to keep that from happening. Um, he's foolish, but he's not stupid, so he goes after the seed of the woman. Cain kills Abel, Genesis chapter six, the whole, only one family is perfect in his generations. He goes after the seed of the woman. And so again, creation is defiled before God and he has to set the, re- he has to set the reset button and so it's a global flood. But then on top of that, water is a type of the word of God in Ephesians 5, 27. What is, what is Jesus doing with his bride? Well, he's washing her in Ephesians 5, 26 with the water of the word. So if water is used in judgment, but water also pictures the word of God, what was, was again, and, and it will be. In Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus comes to finally wipe out the Antichrist, his kingdom, his armies, at the Lord's second coming, he judges with a two-edged sword in his mouth. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged what? Sword, and it has the ability to separate the fleshly part of you from the spiritual part of you, right? There's a spiritual circumcision that's made when somebody believes on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you become a new creature. Um, so here's this sharp sword, the wrath of this sword coming out of his mouth. Revelation 19:13 says it this way. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. So we already, we've already seen all of that in Genesis one and God said and God said and it was and it was and it was and God said and some more and it was some more. That's Jesus speaking. Nothing that was made, uh, it wasn't made unless it was made by the word, the person of Christ, the living word of God, spoke creation into existence. His name is called the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So the water of God's word that cleanses his bride, that is so good for us as the bride of Christ, is also an instrument of judgment. God uses water in judgment, doesn't he? The water of the word is a sharp two-edged sword that comes out, in other words, when Christ comes to take over planet Earth, he speaks 
and the armies of the Antichrist are destroyed. Number three, it's a universal judgment. God says every living substance that I've made I will, will I destroy from off the face of the earth. Don't miss that picture. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, the wages of sin. Romans 6.23 is death. Revelation chapter 20, death and hell are cast into a lake of fire. When God deals with sin, it must be annihilated and it has to be complete. So this is a universal flood. All flesh must be destroyed. So if you're gonna be a Bible believer, you're not gonna believe what they will try to tell you at your local university, that it was a localized flood, that it was a localized cataclysm. No, the Bible tells you that the flood waters were so great that they were 15 cubits, roughly 20, well 20 plus feet, over the tops of the highest mountains, okay? Uh, we'll talk about the volume of the flood uh, when we get there. It's massive. If you're gonna believe the Bible, um, you believe in a universal flood. I remember I was a kid, uh, just growing up in the Ozark Mountains, and I'm walking along, and you know, you'd find little fossilized bits in the Flintstones in the Ozark Mountains, and I picked one up, and it was a seahorse, a fossil of a seahorse in the Ozark Mountains, and I'm like, huh, Genesis 6 is true. And then I tossed it and kept walking. Once I started learning my Bible for reals, I'm like, I'm an idiot. For the rest of my life, I could have held up that Flintstone, that rock, and shown people that, that, that seahorse and told people where I picked it up in southwest Missouri in the Ozark Mountains. For the rest of my life, anytime I'm walking through the Ozark Mountains, I'm looking at stones trying to find any flintstone with sea life imprinted in Yeah, you just, you can't fix stupid. I don't know what to tell you. Okay, <laughs> number four, obedient faith was required of Noah. Look at verse five, and Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Yeah, it's rough out there of clean beasts and of beasts that are not clean, of fowls and of everything that creepeth upon the earth, there went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. So Noah, verse five says he did what God told him to. He did according to unto all that the Lord had commanded him. So key, to get this down, this is a critical key, obedience and faith, right? Obedience is faith in action. Noah believed and he got his butt in motion, right? He walked, that's the action with God. He did according to all that God had commanded him according to Genesis 6.22. He didn't just nod his head and then just keep living the way that he was living. When the word of God informed him, his life changed. He followed in pursuit. If Noah hadn't gotten into the ark, he would have drowned with the rest of the planet. He had to obey, so verse seven. Right? Noah went in, his whole family went in with him. It's Noah's complete obedience that resulted in the salvation of his family, his sons and his daughters-in-law. Again, the example of the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. 
So there's Noah's obedience saved his family. You contrast that with Lot's carnality. Uh, he, he, man, he had, a, he had a Sodom mindset. He's living a Sodom life and, and it results in the loss of most of his family. He and two daughters make it out, that's it. He loses everyone else and, and that also resulted in the birth of adversarial nations. Trouble in the Middle East, you can lay it at Lot's feet. Notice that Noah is 600 years old, verse six. Six is the number of man. You see that from Genesis to Revelation. Man's created on the sixth day. Revelation 13, 18 tells you, here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 600, three score and six. Six, six, six. Why? Because six is the number of a man. And so here's Noah, 600 years old when the flood comes. You think that's a mistake? That's not a mistake. Here's Noah, perfect in his generations, 600 years old. The Bible says that after the flood, he lives 350 years. He's the last of the really old ones, okay? So he's in the prime of human life, 600 years old. Perfect specimen, okay? (laughs) He lives a total of 950 years, according to Genesis 9.29. Now the waters come in, seven days after Noah and the crew began loading into the ark. And, and what you're gonna see, people get confused about this because you see four different perspectives or four different accounts of the loading of the ark in, um, in, 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 in Genesis. You see it in Genesis 6.22, you see it here in 7.5, you see it again in verses seven through 10, right? There's a repeat there in this same passage. We'll see it again in chapters, uh, chapter seven, verses 11 through 16. They're not loading into the ark four different times, it's just four different perspectives on what happened. Just like when Jesus came in the first advent, what do you have? You have four different perspectives, four different gospels that tell the story of Christ's coming. In Revelation, you see the same thing. You got four different perspectives on the second coming of Christ. Um, we'll We'll have to, like Genesis, if the Lord tarries, we'll have to do the book of Revelation. When we're ready for another heavy study, we'll, we'll, we'll tackle that one. You've got four different views, four different perspectives in Revelation on the second coming of Christ. There are four parallel accounts. God's with this, he's providing seven days of grace, right? Seven days to get everybody's tail in the ark before judgment falls. Uh, why is, uh, that's, that's just the grace of God. I mean, Israel circled Jericho for seven days before the walls came down. I mean, couldn't seven days, couldn't somebody say, I, I see my goose is cooked and, and, and call on the Lord and, and send out an emissary and say, hey, can, 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 we get, can we get with you instead of being destroyed by you? I mean, seven days before judgment fell. You know, we looked at this you know, in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, we find out that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. And, and then, holy smokes, we found out that God operates in a millennial day framework. And, and, and really, the story of the Bible is one of six days of labor followed by a day of rest. And holy smokes, I mean, you just everything lines up with the creation account lines up with how humanity has unfolded over the last 6,000 years and we're rapidly coming to the end of 6,000 years of human labor under the sun and, and six days of labor is followed by what? It's a day of rest and so we're living in the last of the last days and what's next prophetically will be the day of the Lord. 
God's pretty patient with humanity, isn't he? A day is as a thousand years. There's all the time in human history to come to a place of calling on God for his grace and mercy. But let me tell you, at the end of seven days, the final judgment, it won't be a water flood, it will melt. The creation itself, the cosmos itself, the earth and the heavens will melt with fervent heat, 2 Peter 3.10. You see it also in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, 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 chapter 20, you know, fire from God falls down out of heaven and everything is reset. Everything is annihilated. You get to Revelation 21 and it's a new heaven and a new earth. Seven is God's number of completion, but it also illustrates his patience. God is not willing that any would, pay, that any would perish. There's always time up until judgment falls. Methuselah, when he is dead, it will come, judgment will fall. And so no wonder, he's the oldest man in recorded human history. What is, that's the patience of God. Don't miss the prophecy of that picture. Exodus 20 verses nine and 11 tells you, six days you labor, the seventh day is a day of rest. Why? Well, because that's how God set up creation, right? Six days of labor and then a day of rest. Second Peter 3, eight, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So Adam, that was 6,000 years ago. That was six days ago to God. We're coming down to sunset on human history. And what's coming next? It will be a day of rest. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ? You are if he rules over your life and your heart today. Noah has an obedient walk with the Lord. Do you? I mean, if you're saved, I know you got Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Is Ephesians 2, 10 evident in your life? Are you created in Christ Jesus unto good works? Do you see that? The life, the love, the person of Christ, is it being manifest in your walk? Is it showing, you are, create, you are God's workmanship, Christian. You are created unto good works. Is that evident? Noah had an obedient walk with God. Do you? You say, man, not at all. Well, maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you need to come, you need to get in the ark. The Bible says that it's at the name of Jesus Christ. This is the only name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. You must be saved. Just like no one can tread water, it's not just 40 days and 40 nights, the waters cover the earth for 150 days. Nobody can tread water that long. You're not gonna swim that long, you're certainly not gonna survive on seawater for 150, like you can't avoid, all flesh was destroyed except for eight souls and the animals on that boat. Well, what was will be, and there is a day where God will deal with sin once and for all. Now he's not willing that any would perish. That's why Christ came and gave his life. For some of you, you need to climb on the ark. But for the rest, if you're on the ark, are you walking with God? You're not if you don't know his word. Adam walked with the voice of the Lord in the cool of the garden every day. You've got the voice of the Lord in paper, in digital, right? You can actually hide it in your heart You've got more access to the voice of God, to the word of God, than Adam did in original creation. 
Are you walking with him? Have you been discipled? Do you know the word of God over your life? Maybe you need help with that. MBT has a counseling ministry, okay? You can come forward and say, I, I, I've got a problem in my life that's a roadblock and I need to get that straightened out. I've got, I've got big problems and I need to know what the Bible says about it. Now our counseling ministry, this is not us holding your hand and just being your friend. We will hold your hand and be your friend, but it's biblical counseling. In other words, here's the problem, here's what the Bible says about that problem, and now here's your opportunity to recover yourself out of the snare of the devil through your obedience to God's word. We believe this is a living book. It should be alive in your life. We believe that this is the word of God, and if you will submit to it, Man, that's a paradigm that will change the whole of your life. I'd like us to bow our heads and humble ourselves before the Lord before we dismiss.